Is mind control the tech industry's greatest invention? That's one of the questions the Financial Times FT Weekend is currently asking. Each week, FT Weekend brings together an intelligent mix of news, compelling stories and global lifestyle journalism. To read the article on mind control and a selection of other articles, visit ft.com forward slash open minds. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome to Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Simon Taylor. How's it going, Simon? I'm really well. Monday morning, ready to get something done, ready to learn more about health tech. I know, on a Monday. I was just saying a second ago, it feels weird not to have a beer in our hand recording a podcast, doesn't it? Well, it it is health tech after all. That's true. So today, we have a very special show, as Simon says. We're venturing into the world of health tech. Having been inspired by my recent experience using Babylon, we wanted to take a deeper view into health tech and see how digital products and services are really shaking it up. Um, Actually, over the weekend, I... Like purely as an experiment, you know, because I didn't want to, but I felt like I needed to. I went and bought a new Apple Watch, you know, like as health tech, right? I took that one for the team, guys. So like, yeah, you know. wow, you're such such a benevolent purchaser of technology. I know, I do it for you. Um, uh, today we uh, and really as always, we are joined by some esteemed guests in this space. So first up, we have Amit Patel, the director of New Ventures at Boopa. How's it going, Amit? Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks. Really, really pleased to be here. Great. And we have Nick Tate, who is GSK's VP of Global Digital Innovation. How's it going? Very good. Thank you very much. I just about got through your title there. That was quite a long one. Like really long business cards. It's a daily struggle. Good. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Matt Lindsay, who is the director at Hanno. Hi. Yeah. Great to be here. Uh, And lastly, we have Paul Bate, who is the director of NHS services at Babylon Health. Good to be here too. Um, let's get on with the show. Gents, for those unfamiliar, um, I, I want to get started by actually just defining health tech, um, because I think it's probably one of those things that uh, is one of those ephemeral words um, that can ca- be a bit of a catch-all. Does anybody want to just have a go at explaining what health tech means to them? It means Apple Watch, right? <laughs> clearly. No? Okay. Uh, it, means, it, it means buy stuff. A lot broader than that, clearly. <laughs> but um, but like you say, it is a bit of a catch-all for a thousand different technologies pushing in various different directions. And I guess all of you guys are part of that in some s- sort of form or another, right? I think from a GSK's perspective, it's the ability to help us get closer to people. Um, I don't think, it's, for me, it's not around creating brand new things. It's about understanding how we can use technology and then bend it to better enable sort of better our health outcomes for people so i don't see it as a brand new this is a huge thing that we need to now you know everyone needs to create i think like all good technology it you know it, it starts to make sense in people's lives and should actually fundamentally be invisible for people um so from my perspective it's uh, it's about gathering those things together and starting making sense of it all. i like that word outcomes 
seems to be a, a key one. Um, I don't know if uh, if any of you guys have outcomes in mind when building products and services, but what what outcomes can help tech drive to, and and what outcomes are you looking for for people in in your day to day businesses? Oh, I can take that. I think um, you know the, the key things, and I'm a surgeon by background, so I spent some time uh, kind of on the front line as well. But you know, principally, it's customer experience. Everyone knows in healthcare that. You know, it's a bit slow. It's not on demand. It's quite frustrating to navigate the system. Um, so that's the first one. Second one is cost or productivity. We know that uh, we've got this issue where um, the cost of care is too high. Uh, we've got lots of demand and we've got to find some way of managing that. Um, and then finally, clinical or patient outcome. So obviously you want to get people living longer, healthier, happier, and that's a purpose for Booper itself. Um, and, and those are the three things for us, really. So I think that's really important because the uh, sometimes when we talk about health tech, it all becomes about, oh, it's about like getting a more uh, convenient, uh, getting a GP appointment on your phone when you want it. And that's great. That part of the patient experience uh, or member experience, customer experience is really important. But technology has been around in healthcare since the year dot. Right? I mean, stethoscopes, piece of technology, stuff that GSK do and other uh, farm companies, right? It's, drugs, technology. Um, unless we're thinking about it as something that fundamentally drives healthcare forward, whether it's about clinical safety or about the effectiveness of the treatment uh, or about the uh, making it fit around people's lives, then we're probably not doing enough to, to really kind of put technology at the centre of healthcare. That's an interesting statement, putting tech at the centre of healthcare. Would you define healthcare as having been somewhat analogue and would you define it as having then been digitized a little bit? Because I think digitized is one of these things that we talk about in financial services, digitized versus truly digital. If you take the paper um, kind of prescription and you try and put that on an app, that's not the same as rethinking, well, why does somebody need a prescription? When do they need it? What form should that take? And and, and you mentioned uh, the, absolutely. Can you give me some examples? I think, it's, I mean, it's interesting if you think of... Uh GSK's business or just majority of pharma, I suppose, in, in the world of sort of pills, potions and lotions that often these have been a problem solution type of offer to the market. Whereas actually we know that with data, we, we know that with expectations outside of our industry, um, that it's about longitudinal health. It's about helping people better understand and actually empower consumers to take better care of themselves by being more informed and giving them fundamentally more access. So for me, I think it's um, it's what's the kind of the, the pre- during and post relationship that we can we can kind of create and, and, and genuinely partnering with people in their health versus just being somebody who sells a product at a moment in time, which I don't think is, you know, I think we can do better than that as an industry fundamentally. So more than two to three times a year going to see the doctor, more than just a piece of paper. It's it's about building a conversation. How, how do you do that though? How do you build a conversation with patients or, or with people, right? About their uh, ongoing health as a positive thing rather than something's broken, I need to fix it. Rather, you know, changing that conversation well what i think think is really fascinating now and something that's often overlooked is that people in general are very very empowered and we look at health tech as this like separate entity but we forget that technology has basically changed the game across industries and now expectations have fundamentally changed so people are now taking health into their own hands already so i, I read a really interesting statistic like the American uh, Medical Association say that less than 30% of US healthcare practitioners are actually um, recommending health apps. And about 13% of those um, healthcare practitioners even use them in their business, in, their, in, the, in the practice. But there's, there's over 300,000 health apps that exist. Um, so what that really means is like users are actually driving 
um, this engagement. So there's the demand is, side, but there's a lack of the supply side engagement. Yeah, like the biggest challenges we, we actually face now are around adoption, engagement and retention of these products. And I think the way that we need to be thinking about how to um, bring people into the fold is by understanding that there's clearly a demand and there's clearly a, a savviness already that exists almost regardless of age range, like people that are in like what we would describe as an older category, they're, they're perfectly able on tablets or so, or whatever. So what we really need to be thinking about is how to bring them into the heart of the process and putting human beings first. So the way that I like to think about it is we think less about patients and more about users. And we can take that one step further because across categories, whether you're looking at fintech, health tech or whatever, we need to remove this idea of looking at people in a category and saying, actually, these are human beings at the heart of, of our process. So we can even go one step further and say, hang on, we're not looking at users or numbers on a spreadsheet. We're looking at human beings. And if we can embed them into our processes from an early stage, we can build products that they're going to really love and trust. I completely agree. I mean, human-centered design is eating the world. And I think with healthcare, it just has this, it's so juxtaposed, I think, from where it's been before. And then suddenly you go, the entire industry is embracing that. And I completely agree. If you think about op open banking, a lot of the things we talk about at GSK is around the notion of open health and how, why would you not have several data streams? Of course you would that kind of give you a, you know, everyone talks about a single customer view or single view of customers. Actually, you should probably should have a single view of health, <laughs> which allows you to better understand, you know, to better adopt your behaviors, better have, have better access to treatments, products, services. Uh, and whether it's a business like GSK, sort of what value and role do we play in that as an ecosystem of partners versus just being the sole provider of products? And I think that's something for me, which is incredibly important when we think about health tech taking over, um, you know, the health and wellness industry is how can we collectively come together for better outcomes in, in general? You know? And I think there's this there's so many laterals, like you say, from from uh, healthcare to financial services, both in the way in which the the customers have not been traditionally sort of supported into services in their day to day lives, but also the incumbent organisations and how they're sort of manifesting the the sort of change. Um, you know, the reason we, we've got the show to start with is, you know, I, I uh, used Babylon Health. An amazing experience, you know, like actually this was healthcare fitting into my life in the way that I could consume it. Literally sat at my desk having a conversation with a GP. Um, I can't, I, thankfully, I've got a closed desk out showing the, uh, the, the, the element to the nice doctor on the other end of it would have been a bit uncomfortable for my other, other colleagues, I have to say. Um, but actually, the, the point on that is, in financial services, if somebody doesn't get help, then their financial well-being can be really dramatically affected. If actually I don't get healthcare support because I work in London and I can't find the time to see a GP in Norwich, then like I could literally die. I think that's it. Lifestyles have changed. And the consequence of lifestyle changes could be really significant for people. And using an app that was right there and available to you really opens your eyes to things can be built a different way. And we sort of built some processes 50, 60, 70 years ago and hadn't really gone back and questioned the processes, but we tried to throw technology at those processes and make them go faster. Well, and that's and that's the whole thing. The thing that impressed me with it wasn't about the fact that I could video conference with a GP. That was great. 
it was the embedding of a, a differentiator for a service into the end-to-end -end experience. It was the same reason why the Genius Bar at Apple impresses me. It isn't about just how nice the people are when I'm there. They're definitely trying to sell me a watch and they did this weekend. Well done. <laughs> Damn it. I see through it now. Um, but it was a, about embedding um, that great experience in an end-to-end -end experience that was also at the same level of, of kind of expectation. So, you know, being able to book it when I wanted to, being able to replay everything that happened afterwards because I don't know about you guys but like half the time when I get back from the, the doctor I'm like I have no idea what I said I can't remember but I got these like, all I remember the is the waiting yeah. usually I, I was in a waiting room for a long time I got rushed in and I left and I had a piece of paper like but, but that's what the technology here it, it lets you reimagine healthcare right? I'm using healthcare as a not just when you're sick yes. right the whole whole world living your day-to-day -day life right so Care whether for you're your health there for your health <laughs> right. exactly it's not just a sickness service but the globally the problems in healthcare is that like two-thirds of all costs are in the people and the people are really expensive to train and they're pretty expensive to um you know to pay they do an amazing job it's just they're expensive well and they're hard to distribute people don't travel long distances easily into small villages but the with technology that can help well and particularly in healthcare as well where you get such amazing specialisms that actually the requirement to travel long distances to talk to a specialist about something can be massively alleviated in a, in a digital world you know if we you know Sam Moore runs our US office. I see him maybe four times a year. The rest of the time, it's not like we communicate. We can, you know, communicate as effectively on a day-to-day -day basis with people in completely different geographies. So, you know, if it's a surgeon who's particularly good at, I don't know, ACL injuries or, you know, chronic back problems, then, you know, being in a situation where you can describe those symptoms and, and get like real support, I think it just, it is a complete game changer. I was going to say that it's fascinating how ex people's expectations change though from country to country. I mean, the U UK to US is phenomenally different because of the payer system and because of the National Health Service. So for me, it's like, Yes, there's design for people, but then those things have their local nuances. Uh, and I think the one thing we probably all need to be mindful of playing watch out is that, yes, more progressive people will undoubtedly um, be up for a service like telemedicine that allows that interaction. Some people don't. So what can you do then to fix for that? Because you don't just shunt from one to another. It is going to be a natural kind of progression. But I think fundamentally it comes down as every other industry is around personal no personal not personalized you know so what can you start to do which is going to um, augment a service product treatment whatever it might be around that individual's needs and i think i mean i've spent a lot of time working within you know within financial services and i just see so many parallels which i was delighted to come on the show to talk about it because why would i want to be treated like a another person who may be over the same demographic as me just because i happen to be white 36 whatever it might be of course we're different and th if there's nothing more to say it's there is nothing more personal and there's nothing more human than your health. And, and I think nothing more vulnerable. And I exactly. think the, the corollary with the branch experience of banking, you go to a branch a few times in your life, maybe to open an account for, or when something's gone wrong or those big life moments. Similarly with hospitals or, or the doctors, you go there occasionally, but actually far better would be if you were in control. If you could see your everyday spend and you felt in control of your finances and there are no surprises, why can't I have that with my health too? Why can't I be in control of my health, see the data and, and, and move, remove surprises? But how do we actually do that? Is it just kind of conversations with people at distance? Are the sensors that um, Apple managed to sell to David going to be actually helpful or are they gimmicks? Well, 
when you when you start from the proposition that you can be digital first, right? You can you can really reimagine it, and it doesn't matter whether you're in London or in rural Rwanda. The amazing thing is that you can deploy similar technologies, and we did Babylon. We deploy the same algorithms, are right, localized uh, for for different uh, kind of conditions and presentations, but still fundamentally the same stuff. So the the trick that we think we're uh, on a journey on is rather than start from being physical first, where your, your expectation is you go to the hospital or the GP, right, which is pretty inconvenient in lots of places or impossible in many others because you're not going to walk the twenty miles that it takes to get to the local health clinic if you're living in East Africa or you really don't want to. Um, we start from the proposition of what can the, how can the machine take the strain? What can you do through artificial intelligence? So we're at the stage now where we've, uh, we've created a product where the, uh, the quality of the, the diagnosis is good enough to get through the GP exams in the UK. All right. Doesn't mean it replaces the GP. It means you've got an awesome first stage. All right. Which means that for the person using it, terrific. They've got a pretty good indication of what's wrong with them if they're sick. And for the doctor, if you do need to see them, they're not starting from scratch. But so you go AI first and so and if you do need to see a doctor, terrific, do it on your smartphone, like you were saying. And then only if you have to, which in our case, only about 10, 15% of the time when you see a GP, does that actually need to be face-to-face at all? Our GP's doing 85% of all those consultations that you did, didn't need to see a, a GP face-to-face. Right, so you, you start from a very, very different proposition when you've got something as powerful as machine learning and AI and you can combine it with a smartphone. It just changes the game. And I imagine there are certain conditions like diabetes and sugar levels and this sort of thing where you can be really preventative and, and kind of uh, almost uh, creating that health literacy for the user and, and helping them understand their own challenges day to day a lot more, but also stay on top of it and, and be preventative. I think I think there's a there's an element there about access is a preventative measure mm-hmm. because uh, essentially just being able to allay somebody's fears or being able to actually get access to something where you can speak to somebody very early in a in a process you know any sort of medical um, illness is a lot harder to treat the longer that it goes on so you know being able to get immediate access to talk to somebody to then get a referral is kind of almost as good as uh, you know as anything really. And I imagine that makes a difference on the insurance side. I mean, sister show and tech insiders are always talking about, you know, kind of lowering liability if you can create those uh, preventative services. I mean, is there anything that you guys have done along those lines? Yeah. So in the industry, in the health insurance industry, there's a lot of work done around basically reducing claims cost and improving the customer outcome. I think, you know, from a Bupa perspective, our purpose is to help uh, customers live um, longer, healthier, happier lives. And therefore, prevention strategies are kind of core to what we want to do. I think the reality of it is, though, that healthcare is a long game, right? So any prevention strategies that we try and deploy um, across customer groups now, the the likelihood is the impact's going to take some time to materialize, right? Um, so, you know, unless it's something like don't go snowboarding and you won't crack your ankle or you'll reduce the likelihood of it, it's, it's quite difficult. So being able to monetize prevention is tough. That's the first thing. I think other things that we need to think about is you need sustainable um, patient or customer engagement because, you know, given this is a long game, you need them to change their behaviors, um, how they act, all of that kind of stuff. And, and for that, behavior change is hard. 
It's tough, yeah. But but there are different techniques now that people use, whether it's incentivization, gamification, all of those types of things. Um, and I'm not sure we've really cracked that um, and got the data to understand how you hyper-personalize and, and get, get people moving on the right path. There's something in there about great product design and product management that consumer internet companies have been really, really good at. This is the activation and reactivation of users. The attention economy is all about uh, how can I activate and reactivate you and and bringing that into something that had traditionally worked a certain way that we tried to push digital onto is really inverting it to say, yes, we've got all of these new digital superpowers, but actually the first thing we need to do is fundamentally go back to first principles and reimagine the proposition. That That is exactly right. So I think it is difficult to change behavior, but... When you put a pr- proposition out there, like saying, you know, in Babylon's case, got an NHS GP service, you can switch your GP and it gives you all the services you're used to. You can get your prescription, you can get your referrals, but it's 24-7. You'll have an appointment within two hours and you don't have to travel. Which, like, the reality is in, like, in under a year, 30,000 people join the service just across London. And the reason is because we're giving something to people that feels really different. And when they use the app, it's a good consumer experience and that seems to make a massive just difference. as just to bring it back to finance very briefly i'm looking at the moment at consolidating a bunch of old pensions um into uh, one of the providers pension b shout out pension b and they've been super helpful trying to help me get my old pensions but there's one of them that's in uh, a kind of a, a deferred benefits um, kind of i don't know what the exact term is but basically i need an independent financial advisor to look at it finding an independent financial advisor and getting some of their time is near impossible because they're just they just seem to not exist you go to any comparison site for them none of them call you back you seem to spend your whole time chasing them and then when they are available they're never available when you are that what you just described but in financial services for ifas would be amazing and and i think so this is why looking at other industries i think is so important sometimes because you can learn so much but coming back to that thing around um insurance fascinating because mobile telematics is change the way that starts to change the way that we we drive because it increases the access point for people younger drivers to actually get better claims awesome so what is the what is the similarity that you have within the world of health tech similarly how are you starting to plan for the world where in terms of behavior change the behavior may be changed inside and more importantly outside of the doctor's surgery so what happens when i'm at home what happens with connected home what happens with connected cities how am i be able to gamify and understand where i sit on the bell curve of health and how am i being rewarded for that and you're absolutely right propensity models ai machine learning is absolutely going to eat this industry for you know for breakfast because fundamentally there are better ways for us to understand diagnose launch and sustain products i mean this is something i think that gsk are trying to really move into which you go let's think about digital product management let's not think about just launching a box of pills let's think about sustaining an ecosystem of care where where medicines plays a really vital part of it absolutely but the fundamental behavior change that sits underneath it and the other differing services that you could have around it are incredibly important to you know to 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 create better health outcomes as we talked about it it is an interesting one isn't it like you say it stops healthcare being the uh like the nhs or bupa or whoever's kind of problem to actually self-support you know and similar with you know diet we've seen it like say definitely in the financial services perspective in some instances it's about education and then in other instances, it's just about having that safety net. You know, the thing for me, knowing that I can get that, you know, two hours to, to talk to somebody, I've used it once, but knowing now that I have it, 
just gives me a completely different level of support that I could have. And actually, I, I think that's a really, like you say, it's a really interesting lateral to what we're seeing with, you know, the Monzos and the Starlings in financial services, where actually, you know, people love the fact that they can instant message somebody 24-7 and get access to somebody. But mostly people are only using it two or three times because that's all they have to do when you put a proper digital service in place that actually really, really supports people. So it's a, it is just amazing how many laterals there are. One of my favorite um, statistics is like the top three reasons people call a banking call center. And number one is what's that transaction? Number two is uh, have I been paid? Number three is has something gone wrong? And if those are the reasons somebody's calling you, fundamentally your product is broken. And what sounds like you're saying here is that the same is true of, of healthcare. If if I'm having to go to you for day-to-day, everyday stuff, which seems to be, and, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, but my perception is a lot of what takes up uh, healthcare practitioners' time is people coming in with stuff that could have been dealt with. But how do you get how do you get that behavior change where people become more proactive in their daily lives? Is it going to be the devices? Is it going to be product development? Or is there something else fundamental behind the scenes? Because you mentioned earlier, there's, there's 13% of the American healthcare practitioners are actually uh, working with and recommending those apps. Is that a function of the business model? Is that a function? Of, like, what, How do we overcome that? Well, I think the thing we need to think about primarily is how people are interacting with technology today. So from a a health tech perspective, I think now mobile is basically your first responder. You're always going to go to your phone or your computer to see what's going on with your life before you're going to go into a a doctor's office. And really health tech and healthcare in general is broken out of the doctor's office now. So if mobile is now our first responder, it's also our second opinion. After we've seen a doctor, we're going to probably go and check our, our, yeah, we're going to check um, that opinion online and cross-reference it. And all of a sudden, we're super empowered with the amount of information that we have access to. Uh, But that can be dangerous, right? You can be over-empowered and you can think you've got all the problems in the world. As soon as you start Googling, why is my back hurting? Suddenly, it's the worst thing in the world. You're you're three clicks away from cancer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a rabbit hole for sure. But I think where we can play a part and Hanno has a product design team designing health applications. I think there's a really interesting role for almost like this kind of coach, if you like. We were talking about gamification and how we can design for behavior change. And I think a really, really present example um, of how we can make healthcare really, really accessible and inclusive and bring people on that journey with us is if you look at something like Headspace. So if you look at Headspace, it's an online meditation app and they actually have guided lessons for meditation that take you on a course like one to ten um completely free and initial another one like it calms exactly yeah exactly um, like that now that is taking meditation that you know five ten years ago that would be something that not many people in in the western world would consider and made it extremely accessible to the point that big organizations like facebook uber google are, are actually bringing that into the workspace so what can we do when we think about health in terms of being a coach there's a there's a company called quit genius who are helping people to give up smoking following that same pattern like can can we coach people out of that can can we use behavior change to bring people on that journey and you can look at that in other industries and say yeah people are doing behavior change extremely well outside of health tech but there's a real real opportunity if we look at health in terms of getting that data and giving people really really important insights to change the way that they behave to better their life which is opposed to going to the doctor once a year and they say you really should stop that 
oh, you should really should look at meditation. And you go, well, what, do I go on a retreat to Bali for a month? Like, how do I meditate? <laughs> sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but it sounds expensive. Whereas actually an app for 10 minutes per day is really accessible. And I think the way these apps have been designed and built is around modern lifestyles and on that snacking mentality. Mm-hmm. And they, they do gamify and they do make it easy to trip up and fall into. I remember three or four years ago um, being introduced. Uh, so there's... Uh, I had this moment, I was sitting in the Barclays Accelerator, so a building in East London full of startups, and one CEO of a startup was talking to everybody they could get their hands on about the discovered headspace, and it was amazing. And you have that word of mouth referral that you get with digital products that are really great, that you typically don't see with, I went to my doctor and my doctor was really amazing. However amazing that human being may be, and however great that service continues to be, digital services are able to be um, almost more viral and, and word of mouth shared, and actually maybe that's the way they start to get adopted. I think the single most exciting thing to me about using great product design in health tech is that we can actually remove the stigmas that patients have um, around certain illnesses or even just lifestyle conditioning. Like if you can design a beautiful product, um, for example, even an Apple Watch, you can take that out and about, you can measure your heart rate, you can can do whatever you want to do without feeling sick, without feeling like you're constrained by some technology well, certainly it's a positive experience david really liked the genius bar and got sold to sucker um but actually he got a positive experience from that even though he bought an apple product which is evil but aside from my my google aficionado uh, ways that is a positive experience and that's not a oh this is stigmatized this is bad i'm ill type experience and moving people away from that from from sort of uh something's wrong we have to fix you to how do we improve a good situation but that absolutely comes down to that notion of empowerment you know and having people help take control and i think you're right we're we're never going to have we're always going to have more data than we have today like we know how much that's proliferating the problem we've got is helping people understand it and and make sense of it relative to everything else in their lives and this is when it comes back down to and how these things are so interlinked is the liquid expectations that i have of my bank and the dashboard that i have to understand my financial health is where i see that lots of different things streaming in i go now i can understand where i can start to spend or say what am i same thing with health like if I have all these data streams happening, if I have better understanding of whether it's my microbiome for my gut or what's triggering my migraine or whatever it might be, I can start to plan and, and actually take control of it. And there's really interesting things with things like chronic pain management, where actually so many things affect that. And the condition, same with diabetes, is such that it, it's got control of me. Whereas we know that so much around positive attitude, we know that so much around informing the patient is around how are you going to control this? Mm-hmm. And that for me is an incredibly powerful thing to t- a tool as well as, and from my point of view, from a GSK point of view is how are we going to be uh, accountable for that? Not just responsible or it's an opportunity, but I think collectively we have an accountability in the healthcare provider space to, to do that, which is incredibly exciting. And that's really difficult, isn't it? Because I, I guess it's like um, one thing that's kind of labeled at big banking organizations is that they don't use the data to actually, uh, for the benefit of the customer. You know, it's in the bank's uh, best interests actually for people to go overdrawn because that's how they're, uh, you know, incentivized and that's how their business models actually work. So I guess in this, in this context, it's whose responsibility is it to ensure that people either don't get sick in the first place or if they are sick, get the best possible healthcare that they can actually get because it's, and that to your point comes back to incentives, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, every individual has to take 
care of their own health, right? Um, and if you take the UK, I think we're, we're a bit flippant around that because we don't feel the pain of uh, having to actually take some cash out of our pocket to pay for care. I mean, we do via our taxes, but it's invisible almost, right? Um, whereas you have a very different engaged society in the US um, where, you know, paying out of, for your, your treatments and medications and so forth um, is kind of everyday norm. So I don't think, you know, as consumers in the UK, we feel enough of the pain and therefore share enough the, of the problem that actually is is something that we are individually creating. And until we do that, it doesn't matter what digital services or products or solutions we're, we're going to get. We, we They're not going to get enough traction. You need a kind of mental mind shift. And well, I, I, that's what makes me wonder, could you build a business and a product that is so compelling that adds so much value to my life that I'd be willing to pay for it, that it's actually empowering me and I'm getting benefit from it. Because you see there are all these things that, you know, the, the MyFitnessPals and uh, all of those sorts of things that pop up around the edges that people are using and they kind of add support and they're part of a lifestyle and part of a movement. But but what's that sort of Netflix for healthcare? What's that Spotify for healthcare? Is, is that out there or is it unrealistic given, you know, that we've got um, legacy technology legacy processes and is that even possible given that you know uh, whether it's the US whether it's Europe you do have those legacy systems are we are we held back by that at all I think there is a, a bit about being held back by it but it's um it's also possible to solve a lot of these problems. you don't have to go from nothing to yeah a flawless integration in one go I and mean, just kind of go back to the uh, the situation with uh, with folk joining uh, a Babylon GP practice, right? They, we can perfectly happily work within the NHS systems and make sure the information that needs to be in front of the GP is in front of the GP. Now, in time, that'll get better and better. Um, but also with the incentives point of it, for some in the US, it's a very different system to the UK. Uh, and it's different again in East Africa, and it's very different again in China. For the consumer, the incentives, yeah, it's to have fun, it's to, to be able to engage with the product and to, to do the things you've always wanted to do, like whether it's stopping smoking um, or being around for your kids in your, in your old age. Most people don't want to die young in pain right so you've got you've got some alignment there but um <laughs> consensus but for the um for the supply side right the uh the, the question we always say is, is how how do we make sure that we're doing the right thing for um for consumers and for the system as a whole so you know you don't get paid a penny more uh, if someone turns up for another gp appointment Right. So actually our, our incentives are not bad at all. It's in our interest as, as a company to, for everybody to stay as happy and healthy as possible. All right. And that's how, so sometimes you find, oh, actually, hey, the NHS incentive is pretty good. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess it's difficult with the, from an NHS perspective. And this is, we've got a, a lot of, like you say, American listeners who are going to have no idea what this was. It's the thing Obama tried to do and didn't work out right. Um, but being in a situation where uh, you have that safety net, then it does remove some of the personal responsibility because, well, if it is broke, somebody will fix it for me, essentially. Um, I, I think the, the, the sort of getting investment to do something similar to what you've done must have been really, really difficult, though, because actually all of the things that you would have been measured on to date would have been about the waiting in a waiting room, the amount of GPs that there are in, in service. And actually something like you've done now is it is a, a digital thing. It isn't looking at how you reduce a kind of a, a small part of, a, of an objective. It's a much broader piece because, you know, the, the thing that when I started using it, that's 
my brain spiraled away from is it just gives you completely different access to different types of workforce. You've got, you know, uh, returning mums who can work from home because actually you've got access 24-7 to, to people there. You know, it just it gives you so much broader opportunity if you just think about the problem in a slightly different way. Yeah. So I think that's right. The I guess why we're having the health chat is because when you when you have technology, you're freed. You're free. It's never a question of therefore you don't need the GP or the nurse. Yeah, it doesn't it remove be. the human. And if anything, without the humans, it doesn't work. Yeah, absolutely right. But it does help the um, you know, 35, 40-year-old uh, female GP who's got caring responsibilities of her own. Uh, we have you know, we have 200 GPs just in the UK alone. Uh, and they're working all hours of the days. They're working flexibly. We know that there's a really serious problem in lots of countries about burnout uh, of, uh, of GPs and, and doctors and clinicians more broadly but we also know because we ask our gp how are you doing right 95 percent of our gps say they're managing their day-to-day workload fine right compared to 86 percent in the you know in the in the country as a whole gps say that they're they're demotivated and stressed so it's not just how empowering technology can be to the consumer it's also about how it can support the workforce. I was going to say, I completely agree that it's not around. It's not around just thinking about the patient. I think in an ecosystem where there's a natural symbiosis of care, and I think what's interesting is that every single aspect that supports healthcare to this point, arguably, or at least in the last five years, have been thinking in silos. And we know the same in banking that it's not the same. And I mean, one thing I speak speak to the folks at GSK about is, you know, we are we're in, we're a business that takes care of the major functions of your body right your lungs and your teeth and your mouth and your skin and everything but really interesting from my perspective if you think gsk more broadly is we take care of people from when they are zero to 100 from when from head to toe and when from when they're very well to when they're really sick to when they're really really sick so from my perspective you sit there and go well actually how can gsk start to think more broadly longitudinally around around health outcomes for people. And if, if you think about that at times, the entire sort of health industry, then actually it's around designing the entire industry around the person, not just a separate silo of business. And I love Babylon Health. I think it's absolutely amazing. And I think the advent of, of telemedicine and empowering people to take better care of their health, what that does for GPs, for that entire more progressive way of thinking about that and better time management, liquid expectations across things, all of those things are great. But I think we're very much on the journey. For me, it's how do you inject yourself far earlier in the value chain, far earlier in the health journey mm. of somebody. So yeah, you're never going to be able to change all those legacy systems and, and mindsets because people just have expectations that they've always grown up with. But the more you can get up in front of people, the more you can empower them early on. Well, then I think that's that where you can the get the data. And yeah. that's where you can get access to people. And that's where you can uh, impact things without needing the legacy systems in a way. But also once you're going into people's personal lives and personal data and their devices, then you're also taking on a responsibility. So is introducing all of this technology not only introducing great services, but introducing cybersecurity risk and attack surface? Uh, do, you, do you know? I think the whole uh, conversation is going to move on around what what is what is safety and security in in healthcare. So there's two things I don't want to hear when I get on a plane. Right, the first is we're really sorry. There's no pilot. Right, that's bad news for me. But you know what? I don't want to hear he's going to have a go without the autopilot. He's turned that off. The truth is. These days, you've got to have both. You really, so, yes, you need to get your cybersecurity right. Of course you do. Um, but it's as much, how unsafe is it not to surround yourself 
yeah. uh, with technology. Well, Do- and, and you look at aging technology and the ransomware attacks and what that can mean from not having your tech right. It, it doesn't necessarily mean having old legacy tech is safe and bulletproof, as a lot of people assume. Actually, that can be the most vulnerable. Absolutely. Interesting. Um, so as we gaze into the future... Uh, as we gaze into the next five, ten years, uh, round the round the room, what are we going to see? What's going to change? Is it going to be um, a few more apps? Is this going to cross over into the mainstream? Is the conversation going to change? I think one of the most um, interesting things that we're faced with in the, the near future is the consumerization of a lot of healthcare um, and a lot of people entering that market. And hopefully we're going to start to see people funding solutions rather than just technology and saying, oh, here's AI, here's a chatbot, let's just use that and see what happens. Which is a pet peeve. Yeah. Tech for tech's sake without a proposition, like, yes. Yeah. Because what we're going to find, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, is like when we consumerize a lot of the health space, we can bring people into that conversation. We can make it far more accessible and inclusive and it doesn't feel anymore that you're you're sick or you're a patient. All of a sudden you're in control, you're, you're powerful. And with the like proliferation of things like wearables and different sensors we're going to get far better inputs and we're going to start having all of this data that we can really play with and i think the key in the future is to make sure that with that data we're putting that in the human being's hands like in the the person needs to own their own data and we need to be creating propositions for people where they feel like they can give that data to people to receive better insights rather than it being a very opaque um kind of system where you're giving data and you don't know what people are using it for because if you think about it now Anyone that owns an iPhone iPhone or an Android device, the proposition is so high for them to use that that they don't mind giving away their data. The same with Facebook or social media. We need to come up with ways that data is being used responsibly, but in a way that really, really benefits people. So they want to uh, share that with their their doctor or with their therapist. And there's interoperability between sharing with your doctor or sharing with your insurance or whatever. We need to come together and kind of work cross sector to make something that actually benefits a human being in the in the heart of the organization that is being served. Broadly, empowering an individual to own their data is a macro problem, isn't it? I mean, data portability is a question for Facebook. It's a question for Google. And the sort of attempts to do it remind me of financial services. Ten years ago, there was a program called My Data, M-I-D-A-T-A, where you can actually, from any banking website, you can go download a CSV file of all your transactions. Great. That's not data portability. That's not putting me in control of my data. GDPR, where I have informed consent, which is basically a website pop-up where I can, if I can find the right buttons, figure out how to opt out of a bunch of stuff that otherwise they would assume I want to opt into by clicking the big yes, I agree button, is not data portability. And when it comes to healthcare data, it's so, so important that we get those experiences right. And it's interesting to hear you all talking about the mutual admiration society of other bits of work in the industry, because actually maybe you guys are at the forefront of making that happen yeah i mean i think uh, the the world of health is going to become much more personalized we're going to see personalized treatments uh more personalization around how people engage digitally um with the health service um etc and i think a fundamental kind of enabler for all of that is unleashing the data in the silos that you've just talked about um you know the customer can't really vote with their feet they can't take their data and go see another provider and until that happens um it's going to be hard to see a few that's radically different almost akin to open banking almost akin to open banking look at that thread back right there uh, <laughs> let's hope open banking ever works but that's another story for another show uh, how about you good self i think we'll probably see 
um, people build their trust in individual organizations or products or platforms. But what, what I mean is, if you ask people now, do they, you know, who do you want to uh, have your health data, right? It's a very big uh, question, but it matters a lot who, if it's, uh, you know, the NHS is actually reasonably trusted. Uh, a new entrant's going to have to build that trust. Uh, but I think it goes back to something we were saying earlier. If you're creating something amazing, something that is, okay, in that case, uh, I'm making a conscious effort to join. I'm willing to do that. And if the organization is um, is a responsible one that says, these are the implications, this is how we'll use your data. I think what we'll find is that new organizations build trust. So I remember I was looking at um, some Twitter the other day um, and watching Monzo's reaction to the BA data security breach and the outpouring of love for Monzo because they said they declared a security incident. It's fascinating. Right? And the transparency of how they were working through it and the proactivity. And to their credit, Starling did the same and others have done similar. So it's not just a Monza loving. But I think that form of communication is a really important point. And Apple have actually, to their credit, been really good at this lately. This is how we treat your data. There are times we will not use your data. We will not advertise to you. Our business model is not built on advertisement. It pains me to say it, but they're getting it absolutely right. Um, and 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 so is there something in that that broadly you think is going to attract users to the platform and building trust and how you're going to manage the data i think it's going to attract people but i also think it's going to make people want to stay so if um if you've started with a good experience um and then something on data comes up that should be an, it's an opportunity to build the relationship um and i think that's one of the things we've seen with uh with apples and googles and other people. you you start you feel good as a consumer uh, and something comes along, you can have your confidence knocked like, like Facebook, but you don't start from the relationship being about data security. You start from the relationship being about, do I get something that I want that helps my life? Um, and then you have to see data security as a, as a component that helps you build the trust. Completely agree with that. Uh, I think the the service in all of this can't be forgotten, can it? And I think people, if they get a good service from something, are much more open to sort of bartering when it comes to to, to data and actually if you're getting a good service you're much more open to forgiving something if there's a there's a problem so um Thanks, Paul. what do you think nick i mean i think everyone's covered an awful lot of points so i'm not gonna it always say to be the last one. data and <laughs> I, I mean i think i agree with amit that um i think you're gonna i think we are going to move into this notion of of open health and the fact there's going to be several different aspects which are going to help inform our health outcomes but i think all of those things fundamentally i think we've all talked about it today need to be built on a a better value exchange like what do i actually get for interacting with this service and, and and fundamentally for me that it is built around a genuine need and not just something that somebody wants to sell to some somebody and i think if you start to bring those things together then what you're going to start to see is people projecting further into the future and helping better understand what's what's tomorrow for me so in the same way that insurance people start talking about well make me help me understand the my pension of tomorrow and what it can provide back to me well, I think you'll find the same thing with health. And I think all of those things will actually drive uh, that be behavior change. But I think the cost of entry for people, yes, there are 300,000 apps. I'd question how many of them are absolutely amazing. Um, but I think the cost of entry to, uh, you know, to, to drive that sticky behavior, to create those, you know, that kind of partnership that's going to help people with their longitudinal health, I think it's going to be actually quite high, but all the better because that's exactly what the entire system, the, you know, the entire business uh, needs to do. Agree. What do you think, Simon? We managed to convince you to buy an Apple Watch just yet, or are you? Absolutely not. But I'm a big fan of the quantified self movement broadly. Um, I 
give me the data, make it easy for me, figure out what my questions are and package that for me in an app or, or and get those sensor data and just do that great bit of product design. Understand the, the superpowers of digital. Like what is it that digital can do that you couldn't do before and then figure out how to build that into that minimum lovable product. Very good. Um, for me, I, I think, um, you know, digital is changing pretty much every part of everybody's lives on a day-to-day basis. And I, I don't think healthcare is any way um, sort of kept from that. Um, I, I think um, not wanting to be too trife, but it's figuring out which bits are the sticky plasters on bad processes and which bits are, are really sort of moving us forwards and embedding digital in, a, in our, our experience. So, you know, whether it's being able to sit and talk to a GP from my the, the welcome of my desk or whether it's uh, an app that helps people understand what tablets to take when you've got 15 different verities and you're going through some sort of weird form of cancer. You know, all of this is digital and enablement. And for me, I think it's it's really, really welcome. You know, I think it will bring services to people who probably wouldn't have been able to, to get them before and and maybe just feeling very uncomfortable to, to do it. So it feels like it's going to be very transformative and Absolutely. that's very, very welcome in any industry. I'm going to share a personal story to, to finish us off. In, in 2007, I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And at that point, uh, the journey to get there was was quite a quite a hack so i'd had a shower I'd, I'd, I'd felt something was wrong and it was midnight i'd been out all night i came, went for a shower before bed and i got to the point of this isn't right so i'm going to go to the nearest available doctor who said i was fine said i had testicular torsion which if you read up on testicular torsion there's no way i had that because i wouldn't be standing i'd be in absolute agony uh, but it sent me away and said no you're absolutely fine uh, went to the next nearest place i could drove and got there at two o'clock in the morning had absolutely no response uh, from them. They just basically said, sorry, we're too busy, go away. And then finally had to go to A&E to get something resolved. And they rushed me in and had me in for surgery the next day. Only because they rushed me in for surgery so quickly did I avoid chemo. So I actually had surgery. I didn't have what a lot of people have. And I was extremely fortunate. And I'm very, very thankful to the folks at the NHS who looked after me. However, if I'd have been able to have a digital service back then, that could have been much different. So for me, this had a very personal twist to it. And it had a very personal set of meaning. And I think there's a lot of people listening who may have had friends, relatives, or they themselves been in a similar position. So digital can make a real impact to people's lives. Man, we have shared some stuff on this show, haven't we? But that's uh, that's a really interesting one. All right. Well, on that note, that wraps up the show. Uh, been really, really awesome. Thanks, everybody, for, for coming. Um, where can everybody find out a little bit more about you? Um, yeah, if you'd like to find out a bit more about Hanno um, as digital health designers, you can find us at hanno.co. So spell H-A-N-N-O.co. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Amit, where can people find out more? Yeah, you can drop me an email at amit.patel at pooper.com or find me on LinkedIn, uh, usual URL, amitpatel911. Fantastic. Paul? Terrific. If you can uh, uh, download the, the Babylon app, uh, that's what's on the uh, Play stores and uh, on Apple stores, or you can go online, uh, babylonhealth.com. Um, and if you want that uh, NHS service, then that's GP at hand. Very good. Nick? Like I'm here, I think find me on uh, LinkedIn or email is nick.x.tate at gsk.com. I'd love to hear from you. Brilliant. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, if you want to find us, you can find us on Twitter at Fintech Insiders. Uh, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a show. And please leave us a review on iTunes. We'll be back very soon with much more insights. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.